Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. This week, uh, we will conclude our reading through the Passion according to St. Luke, and we'll start with the Passion according to St. John. This is all good, in-depth catechesis to prepare you to um, receive uh, Christ's body and blood through liturgy and through preaching over the next couple couple weeks, right? <laughs> Next week is Holy Week. All right. Let's see. Anything else? I know some of you are waiting with uh, anticipation to see which fleece I'd be wearing today, and I'm not wearing one. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, let's see. Grace in the chat. Don and Karen. Karen on YouTube. Good to see you there. Uh, let's see. I guess Nancy's in there too, but she didn't check in, but she's driving, I guess. Chris, good to see you, and Tim as well. All right. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we have a new memory verse, obviously, for this week. Starting off a new week. Say it with me. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, verse 18. Let's say it again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, verse 18. Good. All right. Our psalm this week is Psalm 43. That should sound familiar. Oh, there's a question. In us. Shall be revealed in us. Yes. Um, how is the glory of God revealed in the Christian? That's the question, isn't it? Yeah. The, the glory of God, um, think of uh, in the midst of sufferings, I think St this martyrdom of St. Stephen is probably a great example of this. Um, we've talked about this in regards to John's gospel in particular, and how for John, the evangelist John, the suffering and death of Jesus is the most glorious thing um, in the whole narrative, right? Not the wedding at Cana, um, not the healings, not the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. No, it's the, the death of Jesus is the glory of God revealed to sinners, right? Ironically, with not much light, <laughs> actually, in a, in a, a, when there's thick darkness, right? So here we have the same. When is the, when is the glory of God revealed in us? It's, it's when Christians suffer patiently, right? Suffer um, without opening their mouth, without um, fighting back, but simply um, for this is suffering in particular for the sake of faith, right? Um, I might look at the example here, the contemporary example. I shared this on Facebook, but you can find it. Um, the um, the two, well, it was a it was a parliament member and then um, a bishop who were both exonerated in separate cases, but si relatively simultaneously um, in Sweden. They both had been um, persecuted because they had spoken directly to the biological reality that God makes us male and female. He doesn't make us transgender. He doesn't make us anything else. 
And that was now has was now being uh, considered a hate crime, um, but they actually successfully defended their case, both um, the parliamentarian and also um, the bishop. So you can, you know, the glory of God is revealed in Christians standing for the truth and um, taking the blows that uh, come from, you know, an unbelieving world as a result. So maybe that's one example for you. There's probably more. Yeah, it's not Sweden, Finland. You're right, Finland. Thanks, Don and Grace. Okay. Now we can move on to the psalm. Psalm 43. Speaking of, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in my God. And no Gloria Patri during Passion Tide. I know it's awkward, but there it is. Um, Yes, so we have these, I mean, they're really rhetorical questions here verse 2, and then again, verse 5, right? And the answer to both is that, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy? Why? I don't need to, because in God I take refuge. He sends out his light and his truth to lead me, right? Same thing here. Why are you cast down in my soul? Why have you turmoil in me? Well, simply because we we are unfaithful. But rather, the answer is to hope in God, right? To trust in his promises, again. All right. Our first reading today is Psalm 31. This connects with our uh, text for catechesis, so that's why we have it. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me and deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am a reproach among all the enemy, my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many, fear is on every side, While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in the Lord, O God. Oh, excuse me, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. We've said this often, but it's worth repeating that the Psalms are as much um, words that are prayed by, say, the psalmist himself, David, or Asaph, or whoever, um, as much as they are psalms that we can pray in the midst of, like this one, in the midst of suffering and affliction, uh, times of great sorrow and need, 
But of course, they're always Psalms of Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself, from his youth, uh, was taught the Psalms, memorized them for prayer and home and synagogue, right? Uh, and they become his his words. Well, they are his word, but then he prays those words um, specifically applied in particular situations. So we see like Psalm 22 from the cross as a notable example, right? Uh, you can't hear help but hear our Lord's suffering and passion here in these words and imagine that these are maybe some of the words that Jesus prays while he's carrying or while he's on his way to the <laughs> to Calvary um, or within the Garden of Gethsemane um, as he prayed throughout the night, um, even as he's hung, hanging upon the cross as well. Or perhaps um, maybe another occasion would be when the uh, angels came and ministered to him, not only in the Garden, but um, after his temptation in the wilderness. But these, again, would have been psalms that he might have prayed. All right. And then our reading for catechesis is Luke 23, now the conclusion of the Passion. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our, of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd came together that, to that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts, and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. All right. So, some questions, answers, catechesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the first criminal serving by his words, right? If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And Luke reminds us that he's blaspheming here. So, who's, who is he serving? Even in his death, right? He's serving the devil as he tries to turn Jesus away from the faith of his, away from faith in his father. Mm. But then the other criminal, in his confession, right? Faith in Jesus. Even though he says, even though, um, we have done wrong, right? And our, deserve our punishment. Jesus has not. He's done nothing wrong. <laughs> All right. So beautiful, isn't it? Those two thieves. In verse 42, um, why is this a confession of faith? Lord, remember me in, when you come into your kingdom. Well, if he wants to be remembered by Jesus and, and to be come into his kingdom with Jesus, right? What is he seeking? Forgiveness that could only come from Jesus, right? Where there is forgiveness, there is also life and salvation. Mm -hmm. And notice Jesus' words that he speaks to him. Assuredly, I say to you, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. This is another way of saying, I forgive you your sin, right? This is absolution. Um, I've mentioned this recently, I think last week, a similar occasion would be uh, with Jesus with Zacchaeus, right? Where he says to Zacchaeus, you know, come down because I'm going to your house today. It's the same thing. I forgive you your sins. Whatever has separated me from you is is been absolved, been forgiven, um, and you will see me again. Mm, beautiful, right? All right, what time of day was it now? It's about the sixth hour, all right? And again, we count, um, the, well, at least in Luke's gospel, the uh, the time is, is recounted according to daybreak. So this would be about noon, and it would be, then it was dark until the ninth hour, all right? Um, what's important about this notation? From noon until three. There's a prophetic word about this. It's probably not famous to you because it's from one of the minor prophets. It's from Amos, um, chapter eight. Listen to this. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be passed, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the hand and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun grow down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head, and I will make it like mourning for an only sun, and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Isn't that a powerful, powerful psalm, or excuse me, a prophecy? Right? See, all sorts of things play out. Right? Jesus, um, his word that you've turned my house into a den of robbers. Right? We have it quite explicitly there. This is what I was referring to yesterday, um, talking about how they had um, done so uh, to the temple, to its sacrifices, to the whole economic system. Here we even find out that they're, um, uh, that they're even using their scales deceitfully. So they're falsifying their currency, <laughs> which is why I called it fiat currency in the sermon, which is what they do, right? Artificially manipulate the currency um, to, to rob and steal. So it was that that's what had, was happening. And of course, the famine of God's word, um, the weeping and lamentation and mourning of the darkness at beginning at noon, all there in Amos chapter eight. Powerful stuff. All right, what happened um, to the temple? In the temple, I should say, when Jesus cried out his voice. Or no, it was actually before that, when the sun was darkened. The veil, right, that heavy thick curtain that would separate the most holy place from the holy place um, was torn in two. You can read more about that cur um, curtain or veil in uh, Exodus 26 and Leviticus 16. 
Of course, the question is, why at this time was was it torn in two? That separation between the most holy place, the mercy seat, the forgiveness that's poured out for the nation once a year, and the rest, the holy place, that's now been taken away. So Jesus has gone to the Father as our high priest, right? And he has actually torn down the temple curtain um, that separated us from God, that prevented us from seeing him face to face. All right. Uh, what's, what is now the third saying according to Luke here, words of Jesus? Right, there's seven, but three in Luke. This is the last. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Of course, you heard this um, in Psalm 31. Again, that's why we read this. <laughs> right? Into your hands I commend my spirit. Right here, verse five. Um, and I've suggested to you, and I think this is good practice, if it's not also true, is that when we have that little brief phrase in the gospel, that's the evangelist's way of saying, now go and remember all of Psalm 31, and imagine that this was the psalm that he was praying from the cross, right? And it gives you the cue here just with that one little expression. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. Mm. Like Chris says, I mean, the text is so vivid, you can, you can feel it's... Um, that it's describing um, the suffering and death of Jesus. Okay. Um, note he also adds to the psalm, Father, right? So he refers to him still as his Father. So even while the Father is forsaking him because he bears the sin of the world, he has not forsaken the Father. It's kind of the inverse of the, of the prodigal son, isn't it? Hmm. Jesus becomes the forsaken one that we would be the forgiven. Chris asks, was the ground shaking at that time? Um, not according to St. Luke, right? So remember, each evangelist has a different perspective. John has far more detail, and we'll start looking at John beginning tomorrow, um, and you'll catch some of those details. Uh, Matthew too. So John and Matthew were both uh, immediate disciples of Jesus, right? So they, they have firsthand accounts, and so but they also were not at the same places, right? Matthew was out in the city, so he records some of the things that were happening in Jerusalem at the crucifixion. Um, whereas John is right at the foot of the cross, or, well, at a distance anyway, with the women. Um, so he has other things to record, like the blood and water coming from his side. So they're each uh, recording different things happening. Um, so John will have some of that vivid detail. But Matthew does too. Uh, Matthew records what um, John tells him, but then adds some detail um, and also omits others that John does not record for him. Right? So... Each account is a different perspective on the same events and thereby emphasizes different things. So here, no, no shaking ground. <laughs> no shaking ground. So the emphasis here is on the darkness. Luke not being a, a disciple of Jesus, um, but rather being a disciple of Paul. Um, the, our, my argument would be, some of this is speculative, but I, don't, I think there's indications in the text um, that Luke is interviewing in particular Mary and, um, and maybe other disciples. So, but particularly has Mary, because we have the birth narratives, of course, that are um, most comprehensive in Luke. Uh, but also maybe Luke went and interviewed um, Zechariah and Elizabeth as well to get their perspective. And um, so here, his view of the cross is, um, is from the viewpoint of the women. And we saw this last week when uh, we were on the road, remember? And Jesus turned and, and spoke to the women who were weeping. Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Right? Luke alone has that viewpoint of the women who follow Jesus to the cross. And same thing here. You know, what words does he emphasize? All right. Good question. Um, how is Jesus' death recorded in particular here? Verse 46, crying out with a loud voice, 
with the, from the psalm, and then having said this, he breathed his last, right? Who witnesses his death? This is not unique, but uh, the word are, the word is that he records, right? The centurion, he calls Jesus, truly, not truly this man was the son of God, but here Luke records that he says, truly this, or certainly this, it was a righteous man, righteous man, so true man. We have Luke emphasizing the humanity of Jesus, of course, with his birth, etc. Um, and according to the Bible, then, who is a righteous man? We had Abraham yesterday. He would be a good example to look at. What makes Abraham so righteous? Well, listen to what um, um, what Moses records of Abraham in Genesis 15. Uh, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. We heard about Isaac yesterday. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, accounted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. All right? So that's a key phrase. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to live by faith in the Blessed Trinity, in the word of Jesus. Right? Abraham is accounted righteous because he believes the promise, <laughs> more or less. Right? And we see that really play out yesterday. He does not forget the Lord's promise um, that his son is going to be the one on whom the whole, all the nations will be blessed. And yet he's willing to take uh, Isaac and sacrifice him. Why? Because he trusts that the Lord will restore him again. That is, give him resurrection. Uh, and of course, the Lord provides the sacrifice, which he also believes. Hmm. Beautiful, right? There's so much in that um, sacrifice of I- near sacrifice of Isaac text could be talked about. Um, I had one student today who just, who was in church yesterday and was like, um, I said, why didn't Abraham sacrifice Isaac? It came up because the kids thought, thought that story was quite uh, vivid. Um, and she said, because Jesus. I was like, ah, you get it, right? Yeah, Jesus took Abraham, uh, Isaac's place and Abram's place and the ram's place. <laughs> All right. What'd the crowd do as they left? This is unique here as well. Luke. Yeah, having seen the sight... They beat their breasts and returned. Uh, beating of the breast, uh, you sometimes see this liturgically done, especially the service of Compline has a place for this, um, where it says, my fault, my own fault, my own most grievous fault. So then you would actually three times beat your breast. Um, it's a sign of repentance. My own fault, my fault, my own fault, my own most grievous fault. I can't remember it in Latin, but there you go. Uh, what would be another example of this? in Luke, back in Luke 18, show you this, uh, this would be, yeah, with the Pharisee and tax collector, remember that story? And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, All right? So that's where that liturgical action comes from, of beating one's breast when repenting. Yeah, I know it's not something that people do anymore, most people don't make the sign of the cross anymore either, but these bodily actions that connect oneself, like the sign of the cross connects you to your baptism that physically happened to you. We saw Carson's baptism yesterday, of course. Um, Beating the breast connects you to the tax collector in the temple, right? Or to the women at the tomb, at the, excuse me, at the cross. Um, These are 
These are traditions that uh, confess, right? We don't do them to earn righteousness, but we do them out of faith to remember, um, well, who we are according to the flesh. Uh, who asked for the body of Jesus? This is interesting, right? Think yet of yesterday's sermon here. Yeah, Chris says some tore their clothes as well. Not here, though. Um, we have Joseph of Arimathea, right? Uh, but notice he's a council member. He's of the Sanhedrin. We heard, I mean, I was preached quite a bit yesterday about um, the tyranny of the Sanhedrin and how they, you know, had turned God's word, inverted it, um, and used it as a tool of, of the devil now. All right, but not Joseph, right? So there's always a few, right? A faithful few. Nicodemus would be another one we'll see in John next week. But um, here it's Joseph, a council member, right? A good and just man, one who lives by faith, in other words, right? Who had not consented to condemning Jesus. We know he lived by faith because, as Luke records, he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Another person that perhaps Luke interviewed to record his gospel here. Yeah, because um, he has some details. Came to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, took it down, wrapped it in linen, um, and laid it, or put it in the tomb where no one had ever lain. All right, that would be a detail that maybe it was obvious, um, but also uh, maybe it was a detail that Joseph could provide to him. John has more details, even more details. Of course, John was there. <laughs> he went with the women to the tomb. All right. Um, and now we talked about this. It's been a few months, but this isn't the first time that Jesus has been wrapped in linen, is it? No. So now we have the connection of the birth of Jesus to the crucifixion of Jesus. I know we talked about it then. Um, but there's all these lovely, um, what do you want to say, parallels between the birth and the death, right? And then, of course, this is the end of the week now, Holy Week. So it is the beginning of the Sabbath day, right? It drew near, uh-huh, which is, I don't think, coincidental. As God rested on the Sabbath after creating the world, now Jesus will rest in the tomb, right, after finishing all his labors. All right, so they're going to go home and they're going to rest on the Sabbath. And after Holy Week, um, I think Saturday would be a good day to rest. But of course, you're not going to, because <laughs> you're going to be uh, getting ready for Easter Sunday, and you're going to come out for an egg hunt on Saturday, and you're going to be busy all day Saturday, um, and then you're going to come to the Easter Vigil Saturday night, and then you're going to come to church on Sunday morning exhausted from the week still. And then you're going to receive your rest in the resurrection of Jesus right, on Easter Sunday, maybe even take Easter Monday off, you know? <laughs> So our Sabbath gets moved from Saturday to Sunday. All right. So uh, back to the the beginning, right, with the criminals. Put that up there. There you go. What distinguished the two criminals from each other? Did Jesus die for only one of them? Certainly not. Died for the sins of the world. So what distinguished the two criminals was repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The one joined in the mocking of Christ and the denial for the need of atonement. The other repented as he confessed that he deserved punishment. Yet in the, true, in the way of true repentance, he appealed to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That is to be remembered by the one who was entering his kingdom through the death of the cross. The second criminal heard the word of absolution and believed. Are we different from other men? Is there really a great divide between us and the rest of sinful humanity? No. For the, re- for the only thing that separates us from the mocking thief is that Although we deserve nothing but punishment, we are called to faith through the gospel. Here we see that the curtain was torn in two, that we might find our atonement through the blood of Christ alone. It is the Father who will hold each of us firm in the hour of our death, for he has given us the Holy Spirit and the waters of baptism to keep us as his own.
Beautiful. All right, let's say our catechism for the week. Uh, Table of duties now of citizens. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Matthew 22, verse 21. It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Romans 13, verses 5 through 7. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Titus 3, verse 1. And submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him, to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 14. We pray. Merciful Father, grant us faith to pray for the civil authorities, and to trust that you will accomplish your good and gracious will through them. Teach us to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, and to be ready to do whatever is good in service to others in our community and nation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, Chris asked a question, which I can answer before we get too far along in our prayers here. Why did they stay at the tomb after they laid, didn't they stay, was laid there? Was there a curfew? Yes, the Sabbath. <laughs> they must go to their homes for the Sabbath. The Sabbath had its own set of rules and regulations attached to it uh, for them. So they, yeah, there was a minimal amount of work. Um, they, you couldn't touch a dead body on the Sabbath, for example. Um, so there was any number of reasons. And that's why they come back early on the third day. Um, so, you know, sometime in the middle of the night between the sundown on Saturday for us uh, and sunrise on Sunday to f- finish the preparations. They also, um, we see this with uh, with the, with Lazarus, right? Um, that they really only, they I don't know if it comes out of the scriptures, but they had this sense that you, that all the preparations for the body needed to be done within three days. All right. So there's that as well. There's probably more to that, but that's as much as I know. All right. But yes, it's the Sabbath. They must go home. They can't touch a dead body on the Sabbath. Um, they Actually, it's an interesting note with Joseph of Arimathea. Um, by him taking the body down and laying it in the tomb on the day of preparation, he's no longer fit to keep the Sabbath. Right. So he's desecrated himself. All the ritual washings, purifications of that week, the Passover week, um, he has, in a sense... Um, sullied or, or desecrated, so that he would no longer be able to keep the Sabbath that that day or ever again. So you see what great a confession of faith it is um, for Joseph, right, to have handled the, the dead body of Jesus on the day of preparation. Of course, he finds Jesus to be his Sabbath rest now. That's what's being confessed there. Beautiful. All right, let's confess our collect for the week or pray it together. Almighty God, by your great goodness, mercifully look upon your people that we may be governed and preserved evermore in body and soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray today for faith to live in the promises of holy baptism, for vocations and daily work, for the unemployed, for the salvation and well-being of our neighbors, for our schools, our homeschools, our colleges and seminaries, and for good government and peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. All right, we pray with Tom, Ryan, Dylan, and Morgan, who all celebrated their birthday yesterday. Today, Julie celebrates her birthday. 
We pray for the households of our church, Tim and Amber, Dan and Liz, Dwayne and Pam, Tom and Sandy, and David. We pray in Thanksgiving uh, for the gift of holy baptism for Carson John yesterday. Pray for those ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Bev, Kelsey, Amanda, Dan, Brad, Timothy, and Norm, Merlin, Jim, and Mike. Pray for our homebound, Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, and Paul. We pray for their mission of the month, Mary's Room. Pray for those who are afflicted and suffering, that the Lord will grant them relief. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's sing our hymn for this week, Jesus Grant, That Balm and Healing. Um, We want to memorize stanzas one, two, and five. So let's sing those today. One, two, and five. Jesus, grant that balm and healing in your holy wounds I find. Every hour that I am feeling pains of body and of mind, should some evil thought within tempt my treacherous heart to sin. Show the peril and from sinning, keep me from its first beginning. Should some lust or sharp temptation fascinate my sinful mind, Draw me to your cross and passion, and new courage I shall find. Or should Satan press me hard, let me then be on my guard. Saying Christ for me was wounded, that the tempter thee confound. Oh my God, my rock, my tower, grant that on your death I trust, knowing death 
has lost its power since you crushed it in the dust. Savior, let your agony ever help and comfort me. When I die, be my protection, light and life and resurrection. All right, that's our congregation of prayer for today, Monday, March, or excuse me, April 4th, 2022. It's good to have you with us today for our congregation of prayer. Uh, Chris, uh, excuse me, Chris had one more question, so we'll just answer that quick. Uh, why do we, don't we do that now, or why do we do that now? Uh, as far as um, the Sabbath day, all right, so the Sabbath, Jesus clearly reconfigures um, in his resurrection. Uh, he, I think we could take, by extrapolation, he sees the Sabbath not as a day to abstain from working, um, but a day, or rather days, or rather, well, we live in the eternal Sabbath now, um, to be committed to God's word, right, which is our true bread, the bread from heaven, to be committed to him in prayer. Um, and that's why we do what we're doing here with the daily prayer. Um, I spent, you know, a decade trying to encourage congregations to pray daily, uh, and it took COVID to realize that uh, maybe the best way to do that is actually just to facilitate a daily prayer using this technology um, for our benefit and not for our harm. Um, technology obviously can be a curse as much as a blessing, so I pray that this has been a blessing to you as we pray here together. Let's see, anything else? Nope, I think that's good. So, uh, Lord be with you today and always, and we'll see you again tomorrow. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.